Hello. Welcome to another episode of CXO Talk. This is episode number 37. 39. No, I'm being told by the guys here it's 37. I'm pretty sure. Either 37 or 39. Somewhere less than 40. Somewhere around 40. I'm Michael Krigsman, and I'm here with my delightful and friendly, yet sometimes surly, that's not true. Vala no. Offshore. Vala. <laughs> How are you, Vala? Good to see you. Uh, nice to be back after taking a week off. So you actually do take vacation? No, I'm in CXO talk. You know, ah. we had this, oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, we were off. That's right. That's right. Um, Vala, we have uh, a very interesting guest from a field that we have not explored. We have David Chu. Yes, yes. So much uh, in the news about technology, IT, and healthcare, and, and we thought having an extraordinary CIO uh, uh, in, the, in the healthcare vertical would uh, help us better understand the challenges of IT and CIOs in, in, in healthcare. So welcome, David. Well, thank you for the kind words. I'm glad to be part of your program. I've read lots of great things on the social media site, so it's a great thing that you guys are putting together. And uh, David, you're the CIO at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I am. So we're an institution that has about 10,000 employees. We're either the largest or the second largest, uh, biggest employer in the state of Mississippi. Uh, with that being said, I do support three missions. One, one of the verticals is the healthcare mission, which has five hospitals, 25 plus clinics. The other mission is the medical school uh, for the graduate school. And the third is the research space. David, uh, when you were at the Cleveland Clinic, let's let's jump right in. When you were at the Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, you implemented over 109 different applications with over 200 medical devices. Correct. What kind of IT organization uh, do you need in order to handle that scope of work? Well, that's a very unique situation. Um, we have to rely heavily on partners. Given that we're international, it's uh, it's really important to rely on partners. We could not staff what we needed to in the typical North American organization. So we relied on two heavy partners to work with us in terms of staff augmentation and stand up the infrastructure. So it was the outsource model. And what were the primary types of partners that you were using? They were IBM from an infrastructure perspective. Accenture supported us from a Epic EMR perspective, where they provide all the staff from the U.S. Uh, we made a we made it very clear that our staffing had to come from North North America. So, David, talk to us a little bit. It's a unique uh, uh, mission statement and set of responsibilities. You have mission of education, mission of research, and and certainly patient care. How does a CIO juggle? Three, three sets of mission and, 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 and not only delight your stakeholders but also help, help the business grow? You know, the biggest thing is relationships. Building that solid relationship with the key stakeholders in each mission, that is the key. My expertise in healthcare. I told the organization I'm coming in, it'll be a big learning curve for me and a great challenge for myself to be part of the education space and the research space. That's something I love getting involved with because it is something new and exciting. Whereas in the healthcare vertical, things are changing, things are moving, but at the end of the day, it is 
the typical academic medical center from a healthcare perspective. So building that relationship, keeping everyone engaged, that is, that is the key. And do you find the, the, the needs of the three uh, missions uh, intersect or, or are, are, are some of the requirements you know, orthogonal to each other? Um, we started out as three different silo organizations, three different mm -hmm. missions. Um, my goal is to bring them together. And the way we did that is consolidation. We're not like the typical academic medical center where there's one CIO over research, one CIO over education, one over healthcare. We consolidate to where it all rolls up to me. So now I have to control in terms of consolidation. I'm able to have the staff focus on areas in terms of what's best for the entire organization, all three missions combined. So we've taken that approach. I think most organizations are trying to get to the model that we currently have. And we were pretty ahead of the game a few years ago where we decided to consolidate that model. So that has helped tremendously in terms of getting one mission and vision for the entire organization versus three. Because at the end of the day, they are three separate entities if you look at it. So silo busting. You're all about silo busting then. <laughs> I'm trying to. It's tough. I even have silos within my department. So even within my, my own department, we have a staff of about 400 employees within the office of the CIO. Before I came on board, there are silos, whether it's technology, applications, integration. So just bringing them together, that's my biggest mission right now, my first 90 days on the, on the job. So, so you have silos. So your organization, you stepped into an organization that has silos within silos. Correct. Um, let me just give you a scenario of how the actual organization was three years ago. Three, four years ago, every department had their own IT staff. So it wasn't until the last few years to where we've consolidated, even just from a technology perspective, under one umbrella. Before, we allowed the, we, the organization allowed each department to have their own technology staff. So um, my predecessor did a huge... Uh, had a huge accomplishment in terms of just getting everyone together under this one umbrella, and that was a huge undertaking. What do you think drove the consolidation? Was it was it uh, feedback from the outside in? Was it a budgetary driven uh, initiative, or just trying to keep up with modernization of technology required someone at the helm to you know harmonize uh, an institution that's the second largest employer in Mississippi? I would say just where industry is headed. And you know, we think about from a common sense perspective, that is the right thing to do. Just from a basic common sense understanding of how to run any business, whether, forget about technology, just any sort of business knowledge and acumen, that is the right thing to do. Right. So I think we made the right decision. I'm glad that we did as an organization to move towards that path because that is the right approach. Even from a software application perspective, we're ahead of the game to where we consolidate everything under one electronic medical record, which is EPIC. I would say most of the organization would like to go that route. It's a very difficult challenge, but we actually took the we took a big um, jump about 18 months ago where we just said this is our direction, and we implemented EPIC all for almost every department and under one system. So I think we actually just went ahead and did it because if you think about it from a business perspective, it is the right thing to do. So, so you you said that you've been on board for about ninety days now. For about ninety days, I, I started officially September third. So okay, so so you walk in and mm. 
you realize that there are all of these silos. How do you how do you go about addressing it? And how did how did breaking down the silos rise to uh, high enough on your agenda to tackle it so early in your lifetime there? Fortunately, the, this entire process of me coming on board was really a long process. I actually started talking to the university back in October 2012. I didn't officially come on till September. Um, part of the reason was I was international, so logistically moving international, it, it's a longer process and it's a bit more, more of a difficult task. Um, but you know, during my early discussions, I was very transparent about them, what I, what I want to achieve, and they were very transparent about me with, with what's going on in the department. So I was able to get ahead of the game even before I started. So I think I had about a three or four month lead time of hmm. uh, being able to figure out how the organization is structured before officially coming on board. So that has helped me. So it's really about a six to seven month window that I had in terms of understanding the, the nuts and bolts and just getting into the details of the organization structure. Sure. If you don't mind, David, we have uh, some of our uh, viewers on, on, on social media, specifically Twitter. We have a question from Frank Scavo, and Frank is wondering if you have found a lot of physicians' uh, resistance to electronic medical records due to the impact on their productivity. Of course. Um, the way I present it is going electronic is going to slow things down, whereas other folks would say it's going to speed things up, but in reality, it's going to slow them down. If you think about it, it's faster for people to write than type sometimes than the document in a computer. So in reality, it will slow them down. So from a productivity standpoint, I'm very transparent in terms of there is going to be a longer delay than what we're accustomed to. But the benefit of that is that everything is going to be electronic. Everything is going to be in a computer system. Everything is going to be searchable. And everything is going to be legible. So the effect of that is can provide better patient care. I think our doctors accepted that challenge, and they understand where it's headed to. That's where the industry is headed to. Sure. And we're very fortunate to where our, our doctors are actually employees. So sure. they're affiliate of the hospital where they have privileges. They're actually employees, so they need to follow our organizational structure, our organizational HR policies, and this is the direction that we're taking. So it's an easier buy-in when they're actually employees versus their affiliate um, doctors. Now, do, you, do you find that it's your responsibility or IT to articulate the, the, the feature function benefits and the user experience to the administration or, or, or the physicians, or is there an intermediary group that speaks to and bridges the gap between folks that are delivering the technology and, 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 and the overall goal of modernizing the institution? I try to take on that responsibility, but it's not a one-man show, so I collaborate a lot with our executive, senior executive leaders who have direct responsibility over the, the, the medical staff. The chief medical officer and I collaborate extensively. So it's a group effort, but I, you know, my, my entire uh, communication process is just to be very transparent. If I make a mistake, I'm going to call out my mistakes. And I think that has gone a long way in terms of gaining that trust. So, so as you're going through this silo-busting process. You've been talking mostly about organizational issues. Is that where you spend your time? Uh, that's part of the time. I've, I've, we have a big organizational shakeup ever since I came on board, so that's part of the challenge. And the other is just getting our technology infrastructure up to speed to where I need to take the organization to the next level. Um, we're working a lot on that just to get our technology infrastructure 
uh, up to above standard in a medical grade infrastructure. And 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 so you know you've talked about modernization and keeping up with technology. You come into this institution and you're responsible for I think you approximately said 500 employees in IT. Have you sensed there's uh, requirements for training, retooling, and 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 really uh, achieving buy-in from your organization to perhaps uh, do things differently? We're very fortunate, I would say, in terms of my organization structure, where they are actually confident in my ability. So any recommendations that I've made, they're very well receptive. Excellent. And I've been very transparent in terms of where my department stands, and we do lack training. I think it's been a few years to where um, the team has been trained appropriately, and I think that's the one thing we're working on, training and getting them engaged. Uh, employee morale is my biggest number one goal coming in, that I share with my leadership team is to get them engaged, excited about being here. Because at the end of the day, we're at work more than being at home and any other place in our lives. So why not make this an enjoyable place to be? So I really want to try to boost employee morale, employee engagement. And we're working on some exciting things that are energizing the team, which is great. I see smiles now versus in the past. It's when people are doing the same things over and over for 10, 15 plus years, it just gets old. So now I've seen a new energy that's coming on, which is feels good on my part. But you must you must experience resistance. So let me play devil's advocate for a moment. You're Michael's really good at that. Just just I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so you're the new guy who comes in, hotshot from the outside, and you walk in and you starting you start shaking things up, shaking up the established order telling employees, hey, here's our new way of doing it, and we know you're going to love it because you don't have a choice. <laughs> That's got to foster a lot of resistance because us employees, you know, we're pretty happy. We've been doing things the same way for 15 years, and frankly, we like it and we prefer it. So why should we change just because you say so? Well, that's a, that's a great point. But the, the, the good part is it wasn't what I said. It was actually the feedback from the employees where their vision, where I shared my vision, and it was actually part of their vision, but they were just so suppressed and they were not able to make the change. Awesome. They're, very, they're very happy that their voices are heard. So even though it looks like I, you know, when I mentioned I made a lot of changes, a lot of those changes were actually recommendations from the employees as well in terms of the leadership changes. And I, I think they're very thrilled that their voices are heard, and that has not happened in the past few years. Um, this position has been vacant for almost a year and a half. So they've been without a leader for almost a, for that time. Um, they've been able to get by. They've done a good job of keeping the lights on, having operations moving. But they just really never had that sense of vision as far as the, what are they here for? What is the purpose for the next three years? We don't even have a strategic plan for the next three years until I came on board. I've never seen an IT project plan. So now that we're putting things out in terms of a, a plan, people are able to see what the vision is, where their future lies. I think that, that brings a lot of great hope. I saw a recent tweet from you, and I want to read it verbatim. Uh, in 2014, as, as we go mobile, social media will be our channel of communication with our 10,000-plus employees and customers. Um, you certainly are a collaborative CIO. Uh, you know, I, I see you in my Twitter stream. And, and how important is to come in 
into a new role or even an existing executive mm -hmm. to be collaborative and open and transparent? What advice do you have to CIOs who are in their first 90 days of evaluating their 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 organization? Mm -hmm. You know, social media is is pretty new in my region. Our organization does not play an active part. I'm trying to get them more engaged. So I think this is the first step in terms of getting accessible to me personally, whether uh, in terms of another mechanism outside of email. So that's sort of my approach to just allow employees to get a hold of me, whether they want to send me a message, and just different ways of communication. I think that's what I'm striving for, open communication between all my teams upwards and downwards. So I'm trying to instill that culture in our organization, which is still a fairly new process. We do have a lot of red tape, given that we are a government entity. Uh, so our compliance is very, very strict, and we're treated as a, we are a state entity. So um, it is still very new in the government sector, but I want to get to the stage where you guys have it. I mean, when I see how you're, how engaged your employees are, that's where I, I want to get our organization to be, because it goes a long way when people are are proud of their brand, and that's my number one thing. I want people to be proud of our brand, our brand as a department, and our brand as an organization. That's fantastic. Uh, David, we have a question from one of our uh, listeners, Zachary Jeans, and on this subject of communication, uh, Zachary asks, how do you utilize internal or external social platforms to facilitate change? Mm -hmm. Internal, obviously, we have formal communication that goes out on a regular basis in terms of newsletters, um, just leadership communication. That's, but I want to focus more on, on what's there externally, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn. We also utilize Microsoft LinkedIn internally. Anything that we get our hands on, I want to test it out. But I think so far, LinkedIn and Twitter has been great. I'm encouraging my employees all to build up a professional LinkedIn profile. And the reason for that is it shows that I want them to be proud of, number one, their, their professional asset, number two, their personal brand and the organization that they work for. And I have that um, on social media. It also allows me to attract top talents. When people see that, it allows me to attract top talents because coming to Mississippi is not the number one choice for anyone, including myself. So I'm trying all kinds of different mechanisms to build my brand and able to instill that energy that people want to come to work for University of Mississippi Medical Center, just like people want to go work for Mayo Clinic. I mean, Mayo Clinic is in Rochester, Minnesota. It's not the greatest place on earth. It's not in New York City. But they have this branding, and that's what that's sort of the vision I have and I want to instill in our organization. It's fantastic to, to see uh, um, an executive such as yourself leverage social media to, again, bolster the individual brand. And, and as you know, in this hyper-connected economy and world that we live in, uh, the brand is you So and, and your and your 10,000 employees. So I, I commend you for, for um, encouraging collaboration, not just within inside of, of, of University Mississippi Medical Center, but also on, on the outside. So, so you, you, you had mentioned newsletters, leadership, uh, communications. Do you, does the, does the uh, hospital and university leverage CRM solutions, and, and would you plan to um, uh, integrate any uh, social collaboration enterprise-level tools like Yammer and Chatter from Salesforce and others? I actually looked at Yammer. So I actually okay. signed this up for Yammer. I just don't have the – I mean, I just haven't had the time to actually roll it out. Got so 
I sign up for a Yammer account, and then I see a few folks on it from our organization that are in the marketing department. But I haven't made a big push. But now that you got that, now that you got the idea in my head, I, I think I'm going to start making a big push. It is, there is an element of you said boosting employee morale. I mean, the fact is, if you want to talk to a CIO of a 500 large organization. You know, I'm sure you have an admin, and and you have multiple steps to, right. to to communicate with David. But now, today, in in the enterprise, employees can tweet or chat and and have that instant rapport, on, you know, unfiltered with uh, with the leadership um, and and senior management. And and personally, I think that makes a significant uh, difference in terms of uh, you know building and and bolstering morale. So I commend you for that. Thank you. And you know that that is really my vision. I want. I'm encouraging the team to use it a little more. They haven't, because it's a big shift in culture, it's a big shift in mentality. So I'm really encouraging them to use it, reach out to me more. I mean, I'll have, I set up lunches with my analysts just so I can get to know them. And I you know I'm, I do a lot of things like that just so that I'm around and just so they, they could view me as someone just like them. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a normal person as well, even though we have high roles. So I, don't know, I try to stay very humble. And I think I'm encouraged my organization to take that role. So hopefully it goes a long way, and hopefully I get I get folks more involved in terms of reaching out informally rather than formally. So what have been some of the the challenges you face driving change? Driving change is never easy, especially in healthcare, and especially in a, in a public institution where you're under a fishbowl all the time. So what yeah, are the challenges? Well, the biggest challenge is. The speed. How how fast can we get make things happen? That has been my biggest challenge, uh, especially being in the southern region of the U.S. Things just work a little bit slower at their own pace, and the other challenges were stay empty. So the fishbowl. So that has been that has been the biggest struggle, not just for myself, but for the entire leadership team that came on board. So looking at from where we are now versus even six months ago, we have a brand new executive leadership on board. The hospital has a new CEO, new CEO, new VP of services. Uh, we have new chairs as well from a medical school perspective. So across the board, it's a big change. And folks are coming here from prominent academic medical institutions throughout the U.S. and where we expect things to move a little faster. So we're in a good place to where all of us are on the same page in terms of speed, getting things done quicker. Um, now our next challenge is how do we get legislature to loosen up a little and allow us to function. Sure. Is there a chief digital officer at, at, at your institution? No, that's a pretty new thing. I've been reading heavily on that, so that, may, that, that looks like it has maybe my next row, huh? <laughs> that could be. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you had mentioned you work with the chief medical officer. Who are some of the some of your peers that 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 you spend uh, you know most of your time developing your vision of technology you're going to bring into the institution and 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 folks you bounce ideas uh, off of? Obviously, my CFO is a big uh, huge person that I need to work with. He funds me the money and resources, so I need to make sure he's engaged. But every year, I help our institution a lot from a revenue cycle perspective. How do we capture more revenue? So I do a lot of analytics. A lot of just back office operations from a business standpoint. Um, that I had some experience with that prior to coming here, so they're utilizing that. So it's been a win-win situation to where I'm able to help my CFO tremendously. In addition to that, I'm trying to make our department a revenue-generating department. So IT as a service is going to be my big push 
uh, Q4 of next year. So in addition to CFO, the Vice Chancellor of the University, our Chief Medical Officer, all the chairs for the various medical schools, the chairs of research. So, you know, being in an academic medical uh, institution, you have to work with everyone. When I came for interviews, I think I probably interviewed with over 100 people because that's the level of um, leadership and the, that's how many people there are involved in terms of this organization from all three work streams. Obviously, I couldn't just uh, work with the hospital folks because we had to get the blessings and be okay from the education side. Sure. And had the, the blessings from the research side. So all those institutions have to, you know, if you view it from, as a separate entity, they all have their own org structure. Sure. We, we have a question from Twitter from uh, uh, Mr. Arsalan Khan. And Mr. Khan asks, where do you see your organization in the next two to five years? And maybe I can narrow that question a bit. Uh, you know, wh perhaps, where do you see, is it mobile, is it social, is it cloud, big data, application economy? Which one of these mega trends do you think is most disruptive in healthcare and, and, and impacting, you know, in the, your organization in the next two to five years? Well, my strategy is mobile. That's where I'm going. I'm going mobile and cloud, so I'm not buying any more desktop computers. At minimum, we're buying laptops. So what, I'm, what I've challenged my staff is we're going to practice medicine from a mobility standpoint. We're practicing medicine from tablets and phones because that's where we're headed. So that's where I'm going to get us lined up for that. And we're very close. We're closer than I originally thought, so I would say sometime about Q2, Q3 this year, we're going to be a full, fully cloud uh, mobile environment where I can roll out our infrastructure anywhere, anytime. So that's where I'm headed to. I think that's where, that's where, from a technology perspective, it's headed to. Obviously, healthcare is always the last adopters for, for innovative technology. So it may be a few years before the entire healthcare gets that um, arena. But from a technology perspective, that's where everyone's headed. Big data is huge. You know, we have tons of data now. What do you do with it? And that's where being a academic institution, my research team comes in. So I provide them the, the information. Now I have these out-of-box thinkers that's going to take information from an education perspective, the hospital perspective, from their testing and lab perspective, and figure out some meaning, some sort of meaning. There's got to be something that comes out of this data. So you know, I think that's where, that's where their excitement really comes in, the ability to have tons of data and try to find some sort of connection between them. We we have another question from Twitter from <clears throat> excuse me from Brian Rensing, who describes himself and his Twitter biography as just a simple country lawyer who somehow ended up being a CIO, <laughs> and he's wondering um, what about compliance when you're talking about social media and going mobile and all of this and all of this openness. What about HIPAA? And compliance. How do you manage those uh, those tensions? Well, we have a chief compliance officer that I work with closely, and believe me, we are over we are overly compliant. So that has um, the good part is we've been working really collaboratively on how do we improve and be efficient. Hmm. The one message I sent her was, let's use technology as a tool. Uh, in the past, technology has been a stumbling block. We try to enforce technology to manage folks. And what I told her is, you know, we manage by policy. You, don't, you can't use technology to manage behavior. That's just that's not the right approach. And I think we've agreed to that um, in terms of let's let utilize our technology to be efficient. So um, we are overly compliant more so. So 
with that being said, we do have strict policies on social media. Uh, obviously, I can't post anything about patients. I, I don't post anything related to work, confidential information. What I really do post about is just leadership, things I want to uh, envision and various leadership style. And I also post a lot about what's going on in the industry. I'm sure. hoping that my employees and the teams are engaged enough to where they read my Twitter pages so that they'll see a few things that's happening and trending and they'll read a few articles that's going to get themselves educated. Sure. I, I, I want to ask you questions that Michael and I have, but the Twitter stream is, is, is more interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> Sorry, we're Michael. Like, <laughs> I, I know. I have my own questions. Yeah, right we're getting the Twitter stream. Lots of incoming. It is. If we don't get to your question, then we apologize. Yeah, we're sorry about that. Everybody. But we have, in my opinion, one of the top disruptive tech analysts in the world, Ray Wang, um, who asked, um, should the patient data be owned by the patient or the healthcare org or government? Uh, put me on the spot, huh? Well, yeah. Right now, depends on what kind of entity you are. You have to think about that perspective. You know, obviously, the patient owns a portion of it, but if you're a for-profit institution, then they're going to own it. But we're a state entity. So then, in our perspective, the government owns the data because I'm regulated by state regulation. So that's going to come down to the type of organization you are, um, whether you're a for-profit, a non-profit academic med medical center, or you're just a uh, for-profit um, medical clinic. So I think we don't have a we don't have a guideline right now. So that's where a lot of disruption in technology and from a healthcare perspective, who owns the data? But what what most uh, healthcare players are doing these days is we're allowing the physician to get access to their data. Sure. So the data resides on the system that's owned by by the institution, but we're allowing access to where they can have access to it. They could probably download it, download the records and and then they could use it to however way they need to, whether uh, have another second opinion on medical results. So we don't have a clear picture yet, but we're opening that up to where people have access to that, their personal information. I want to go back to the big data um, as one of the three drivers you mentioned. Is it the research arm of your mission um, or, or the, uh, that, that's driving uh, the, the, the thirst for uh, capturing insight from all the data that you have? Um, or, or all three, uh, healthcare, mission, and, and, and education, all um, emphasizing the need to better understand, analyze, and report, report data. And a follow-up to that is, do you have data scientists that work for you in IT, or, or are these data analysts working outside of your organization? So it's actually coming from all three streams, and it's coming pretty fast, faster than what I could do. Uh, if you think about it from a research perspective, you know, they apply for grants, and these grants for these researchers are out-of-box thinking. So they need data to back their theories to apply for these grants and get funding. From a healthcare perspective, we're trying to be a lot more efficient operationally. So there's a lot of neat things that we could do with this data to how can we be a little bit more efficient. A doctor's may only, a doctor should prescribe medication A versus B because there's cost savings in medication A. So a lot of these drivers are um, coming from everywhere. So with that being said, I don't have a data scientist. So if there is one, I am looking. I'm looking for someone out-of-box thinker to put together the entire strategy. So I'm working with some of the um, bigger healthcare consultants and just national consultants to help me at least put a plan together. Um, this has been a topic that we're looking to achieve, but it's moving so fast. It hasn't been on the radar in our organization ever since, until I came along. 
I think people, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, please. I interrupted you. I think people know we have data, and people know they want to do something. But the big, biggest question is, what do they really want? And most cannot tell you what they want. So mm -hmm. it's our job in terms of putting data in some sort of format that they could use their creative thinking in terms of doing some analysis and then coming up with what they want. That has been the biggest challenge, and I see that throughout every industry. You know, I think many CIOs are uh, have a difficult time taking the innovation bull by the horns, so to speak. They're, I was going to say, they're almost like a, a, a victim, and maybe that I'm overstating it, because the environment is for the CIO is just so challenging. In your case, you are actively trying to drive disruptive change in a number of different ways. So what is your relationship with senior management inside the organization, and what kind of uh, support and requests do you demand of them in order to give you the platform to drive these innovations? Well, my, my senior management team has been great, to be honest, and they love it. This is the first time they actually have someone that's non-traditional, and I view myself as a non-traditional CIO, um, given that I'm probably a lot younger than most folks in this role as well. So. I, I think a little bit differently than the traditional folks, and I think they have embraced that. They have embraced the fact that I view myself as a problem solver, and I come here to solve any kind of problem they may have. It doesn't matter what it is. It may not even be technology-related, but I do whatever I can to solve a, a problem. So I think they embrace that, and that has gone a long way in terms of um, my relationship with senior management team at all, my, all, the, all the organizations I've worked at. So I think that has been what I try to achieve. And in terms of innovation, I really try to to do something differently. Uh, healthcare, as I stated earlier, is, is a slow adopter. So I've created an innovation institute within my department. And I have, and I have a department that's whose job is only to be innovative. So they, they get to be very creative and do things that's just out of the ordinary, whether it's creating various apps or they just get to use a different side of technology. So I think that has been an exciting um, sort of task that I've, I've, I've challenged my team with and hopefully that gets into influence sooner than later. We have lots of uh, startup founders uh, uh, and, and folks that work in the startup community watch our show. What advice do you have as a you know a, a large enterprise CIO in healthcare to startups who want to do business and bring innovation to your to your organization? I think it's just to find a niche. You know, they really have to find a strong niche that they could bring in that brings value. Um, you look at most of the startups, a lot of people do the same things, but to be able to find that one niche, that's a separation divider, I think that's that's the key. And that's how they can get in the market and sustain and be a player in the market. Most startups probably can last about five years, and after that, they, something happened. You know, the good, the good thing is that they get bought out by a bigger player than the win-win, but most of the time, that's not the case. So is, is security or scalability or uh, the, 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 the caliber of the leadership uh, within the organization play a role in, in do, you, do you work with startups? Maybe I should have started with the question with that. Not uh, yet, but I want to. Uh, I haven't been able to do so yet because of the state regulatory requirement, but I found some ways around that to where we would create a, a foundation un, under the office of the CIO. And that's how I'm going to be able to work with uh, startup and venture capitalists 
Um, up, but before that, we're really strict in terms of our requirements, given that we're a state entity. So there's a lot of restrictions placed on this. I don't know whether they're really true restrictions or they're self-inflicted, but we have a perception of being very limited. But I'm not sure what the case is, so we're, we're taking a different stab at it in terms of working with these folks. Because we do have a really big telehealth program that's um, throughout the state of Mississippi. It's, it's pretty big throughout the U.S., but we've never marketed it and branded it the way I needed to. Sure. You know, we, we have to talk about healthcare.gov. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it up. Well, how can you, how can you not? How can you not? I knew so, you were going to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and let's kick this off with a question from Frank Scavo, who asks, how will the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, affect, affect medical providers like your institution? Let's begin there. Well, there's a decrease in reimbursement across the board for all institutions from from the government, whether you're Medicare, Medicaid. So the decrease this year is about two percent. For us, that results in about two million plus dollars decrease in revenue. That's just wow. us. So imagine every institution. So with that being said, revenues is decreasing, patient demands are increasing, technology expenses are higher than ever. But what do you do? Now we have to really have to look at how can we efficiently operate and operationalize how we practice medicine. So, so no, no, no pressure for the CIO. No pressure for the CIO. No <laughs> pressure on the CEO and the COs, I think. <laughs> I'm just an expense right now still until I could generate that revenue. <laughs> so, so it's going to force you to, the term you used was, uh, re, I think, uh, rethink how you operationalize the delivery yeah. of healthcare? Yep. So we, there has to be new and creative ways. Every All the insurance companies are cutting down their reimbursements as well. They're not paying the same margin that they have in the past. Everyone's looking to squeeze every margin they can. It's going to get to points where we'll probably, if we have to provide health care as a charity, then it's not, going to be, it's not going to be efficient anymore. And people cannot sustain it. If you look at what's happening in the healthcare care industry, it's consolidation. Everyone's sure. consolidating somehow. And because of the legislatures, because of Obama Act, it's forcing folks to, to look for consolidation partners. But UMMC is the only level one trauma center in Mississippi. You're the largest diagnostic and treatment center. So what motivates the largest player in, in the space to think about the, you know, patient experience and efficiency? Uh, I mean, you're, you're the biggest. Uh, is, is it just a thirst for innovation? Or, or I, I, as, as you mentioned, there's certainly financial constraints. Uh, Based on uh, you know changes that are taking place, but what really motivates UMMC to to deliver the highest possible quality experience to the patients? Our mission is to provide the best healthcare we can in the state. Um, given that we're a state entity, we're also very conscious that we're also utilizing part of taxpayers' dollars. Yeah. So we're we're very good in terms of our financial um, diligence and how we operate. So I think that's. That's a great culture that has been instilled by our, our leadership team all the way down. If you ask any one of our employees what is their mission, they're going to say to provide the best health care for the state of Mississippi. Excellent. Now, our goal is actually, or my goal, along with some of our senior executive team, is to get out and capture a bigger region than just the state of Mississippi. If we don't do this in the next three to five years, then we, we sort of um, didn't come to Mississippi and, and achieve our objective. We want to capture at minimum, southeast region of the U.S., and I like to go global, given that I was 
international for almost three years. I think it's a really good space to go global because one of the things I've noticed and I've actually witnessed and I've been there is healthcare is not the same outside of North America. People say how expensive we are. Yes, we are very expensive, but in my opinion, we are still top one or two throughout the world in terms of how we practice healthcare. People still come to the U.S. when they get treated. Um, they fly here because of the fact that we have the best doctors, we have the best technology. So no matter what anything um, goes on, you know, there are some innovation in other parts of the world. People still rely on what's going on in North America. That's excellent. That's excellent. So, the uh, so so when you talk about the the changes that the really fundamental changes that are going to affect you, what is the role of the CIO in this? I mean, frankly, you're you're a tiny cog in this enormous <laughs> universe, and, and there's no no insult intended. But what can you do, and what? should you do and what must you do and what do you plan to do to drive well, the change that needs to happen? We must show how technology brings value for the organization. So how can technology improve efficiencies? How can we do things quicker without um, manual intervention? That's one way we could help. And these are soft costs. Sure. The way I really want to bring in is I want to, I want to be a revenue generating department where I can... Mm -hmm. I can generate revenue, so that's my my second goal as far as being a big player. I, I can't just be in defense uh, because uh, if you look at our budget, I am the big, I have the biggest budget throughout the our organization, so it's, it's a lot of pressure for me in terms of delivering an excellent product, given that I do have the largest budget. Sure. So, David, I know you are at a conference, and right after this uh, uh, video session, you're going to be presenting. What's the name of the conference? And what are you what what are you what are you talking about, uh, to the audience today about? So this is a HIMSS conference. HIMSS is a uh, conference that we have from a healthcare professional standpoint, and we the good part is we've actually teamed up with three other states. So we call it the Gulf Coast HIMSS conference. So it's the state of Alabama, state of Mississippi, and Louisiana coming together, and we we just want to educate folks from all three states, collaborate, share what we're doing, and figure out how can we be more efficient together because we're all facing the same. Well, the regulatory requirements, everyone's getting cut, reimbursements going down everywhere. So would you, we try to collaborate and figure out how can we do things together between at least minimum with the three states that are in close proximity in the, in the southern region of the U.S. And the topic, you know, I think we just we just, just as a CIO panel. So myself and a few other CIOs are going to be on a panel where people are going to ask questions about our strategies, where we're headed, where do we envision healthcare in the future. Fantastic. Great. Well, this has been really fascinating. Um, the your you bring such energy and yeah. passion to the innovations that you're trying awesome. to drive. Awesome. Well, thank you. Hopefully, you know, I can. I really want to see this come to life. Um, I'm really happy to be part of this program, and you know, I follow you guys all the time now. I see tons of tweets from you guys, so it's, it's been <laughs> great. It's been great. Trust me. It's been great you know, since my first conversation with Vala, which was about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah. That's that's right. That's right. And I'm telling you, David, I want to co-author a post with you. So I'm asking you on the air, so I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> you got it. Anytime, any day, anytime. Just like my cloud environment. Anywhere, anytime. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Right. That's and, great. Uh, and we hope that you'll come back and be our guest again. Definitely. Definitely. And then anytime, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Anything we can do together, I'm up for it.
That's great. Perfect. And and for people who are listening, if you think this is scripted, think again. Uh, <laughs> literally, the, literally up until one minute before we started this show today, we had, there were technical difficulties, and we were thinking. Well, what do we do if it doesn't work? <laughs> well, David is at a conference. <laughs> He's at a hotel. Uh, so, you know, we, 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 but we worked it through. And I, I, best of luck with your panel discussion. And again, thank you very much. Uh, we learned a ton and look forward to connecting with you again, David. Yeah, you're a great thank sport. You. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you. Vala, this has been a great show. Unbelievable. Thanks. Another great guest. Yes. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Our guest has been David Chu, who is the CIO of the University of Mississippi Medical Center. David, we're grateful that you came to talk with us, and we'll definitely want to see you back again. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. Right. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye.